0: Today we are continuing the Torch Slayer series. I spent quite a bit of time on this case because I wanted to answer just one simple question. Was the Torch Slayer a serial killer? The basic definition of a serial killer is someone who commits a series of murders, often with no apparent motive and typically following a predictable pattern of behavior. Because of how things were handled in this case, you'll probably have never heard of the Torch Slayer. And if you had, you probably only knew of his one victim. But today, we continue to take a deep dive into this crazy story. Hello everyone and welcome to Forgotten True Crime, the podcast where we investigate true crime cases forgotten through time. We examine each crime independently of other people's opinions, We search out prime sources through police records, witness statements, news reports, and much, much more. Please subscribe to the podcast so that you will be the first to know when we have new episodes. You can also check out our webpage at truecrime.blog. There we post each story and some of the reports we gathered for each case. We have a Facebook and a YouTube page as well. You can find us under Forgotten True Crime. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the last episode, we ended where a confession letter came in from someone claiming to be the killer. This person returned the money he took from Margaret Brown and warned that he was now on the run and would kill himself If he were caught. Now, after receiving the letter, they were actually able to examine it some, and some of the detectives actually believed that this letter wasn't just very well written. Uh, It was hard to believe that someone who was highly educated would have written this letter. But as they interviewed those who knew the victim, they were told that Margaret was indeed seeing a doctor from New York. Although for whatever reason, no one really knew the doctor's name except for one friend and fellow governess, Miss Elizabeth Emily Miller. Miss Miller not only knew the name of the doctor, but she had seen him as well. She actually saw him in passing and knew what he vaguely kind of looked like. Miss Miller told the detectives that the man they were looking for was Dr. Louis Clement. He resided and practiced in New York, and he met Margaret through personals in the paper. They had fallen in love, and they planned on getting married. This was interesting to the police because this is something they did not publish in the confession letter. They actually held that back. The killer actually stated that... Not only were they lovers, but they were going to be married. And the reason he actually killed Margaret was that she no longer wanted to get married. So this was something that was not common knowledge. Now this information came just days after the murder happened. And keep in mind, this is also days after not having any actual solid leads and this is front page news from across the country so when officers and detectives got a name of the person they thought might have caused the murder they let part of that information leak to the press detectives in New Jersey contacted officers in New York and informed them of the information that they received the New York officials began to quickly look into Dr. Clement. The first place they checked was his home. But when they arrived, they found that not only was Dr. Clement not living there, they also found out that the doctor was not exactly single. Because staying in the home was his wife, who had thrown him out. Dr. Clement was a married man. Detectives sat down with Miss Teresa Flower Van Norden, the doctor's wife, and explained the situation. What she told detectives was that she and Dr. Clement had been married after six months of dating. After they had married, the doctor decided to steal a diamond brooch that she had owned that was worth over $600. After he stole it, she had not seen him since. When the detectives told her why they were looking for her husband, she told them that they had the wrong guy. He was a thief, but she didn't believe him to be a killer. But she did tell them where she believed he could be found. He may be staying at one of these several hotels downtown but she really didn't know what he had been doing for work all of this time. Despite what they were told, detectives in New York stationed themselves in local hotels and in areas where they were told that Dr. Clement actually had frequented. They also let it slip to the press that they were on the verge of catching the killer. Officers said that they were watching the killer and waiting to just make their move. The truth was, they had no idea where he really was. They only thought that he would just turn up at some point. As each hour went by, they started feeling the weight of their statements returning to haunt them. You see, this information that was leaked to the press ended up being front page news. It reassured the public that... Hey, we know that this guy's a killer, we're watching him, we got eyes on him, it's all okay. But the newspapers aren't stupid, and after about 24 hours of this, it becomes pretty evident that they don't have this guy, they don't know where he is at all. This also frustrates many of the newspapers, because now they have published something that reassures the public that everything's okay, when in reality, it's not. This also frustrated officers from both New Jersey and New York. Many didn't believe that they should have given such a statement to the press and that it created this false sense of security in the public. The fact was that if Dr. Clement was the killer and he wanted to kill again, no one was watching him to stop him. Furthermore, they were also going off of one person's statement that he was indeed the person who was seeing Margaret. They had no other evidence besides that one statement. Despite their frustrations, on February 24th, 1928, detectives in New Jersey started telling the press that the killer was a drug fiend. They based this on the information that he had stolen the diamond brooch from his wife. Their thinking was that he would only do that because he wanted to sell it and trade it for drugs. They also let it be known that when the killer was caught, everyone would be shocked when they found out who this individual was. In my opinion, this was a careless tactic, but it was the type of thing that you might expect between two state police forces who were not working well with each other. In New Jersey and New York, this free-flowing information was always making its way to the press. Officers and detectives commonly fed the press with information because those news articles sometimes help solve the crimes or help you find a killer or a suspect. The newspapers may have been offering rewards for information as well to detectives and police just to kind of feed them information. So there might have been some money to be made by passing out information. Everyone in the newspaper business wanted that scoop first. It was also during this time that police were starting to run down every lead that had come their way. They were desperate to get this case solved. They would take any information they could get to get this done. A man in New Jersey where the murder took place had actually committed suicide, which caused the authorities to actually investigate if he was the killer or not. In the confession letter, the killer had threatened to end things before he got caught. But when they looked into the man's life, they knew that he just had nothing to do with it. And they're thinking this was actually a pretty big worry because now you have a person that says that, yes, I am suicidal. And if you catch me or if you're about to catch me, I'm going to end things. And here you have the press Printing all of this information saying that he's being watched and he is like arrest is intimate like it's coming. So, yeah, this was a pretty big worry that he might commit suicide. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. On May 1st, now this is just eight days after the murder, the detectives decided to take the suspect's name to the news media. They had lost his trail, and after days of trying to find him, they were just running out of leads. The fact of the matter was that they were spending all of their time looking for this one person and they were just not sure if he had anything to do with this murder or not. But the more time they spent running down this one lead, the more they got this tunnel vision and lost sight of all other possible leads. So by the end of the day, Dr. Lewis Clement was plastered on the front of every major newspaper in the Northeast United States. When the nation read about Dr. Clement, information about him started to spill in about his personal life and dealings in the past. Nothing painted him in a very positive light. He once swindled two old women out of thousands of dollars when he promised them that he was developing a new type of fuel. Something that was going to change the world, he said. They invested in this idea and he took their money and ran. The fact that he actually was trying to develop a new fuel source was also a point of interest not only for detectives but for the press as well. You have somebody that's obsessed with developing a new type of fuel and then you have a killer that poured fuel all over a victim and lit them on fire. This was too hard to ignore to be just a coincidence, basically. As the days went on, the police and public continued searching for the doctor. He was reported to have been spotted all over the country and was instantly everywhere and nowhere all at once. Detectives continued to zero in on the doctor as their primary suspect, They actually took the written confession letter and compared it to other known letters that Dr. Clement had written. It was the opinion of the detectives that the two letters were written by the same person. This was damning evidence and was the first thing physically that they possessed that linked the doctor to the killer. On March 5th, a new letter arrived at the police station. This one was addressed by Dr. Louis Clement. The letter was mailed two days earlier on Saturday, March 3rd. The letter says that he had been making no effort to avoid the police and that he would have visited the police headquarters, but for the fact that he was penniless, and could not afford to retain anyone to represent him or protect his interests. He went on to state that he had no car, he didn't even know how to drive if he had one. And he also explained that on Sunday, February 20th, he had dinner with friends here in the city, and if the authorities have not found the address of his friends prior to the receipt of this letter, he said that he would be glad to furnish his name and address, and stated that he could provide proof that he was not out of New York since Thanksgiving Day in 1927, just a year earlier. If the contents of this letter were true it would mean that the doctor had fallen on hard times and had nothing to do with the murder in the first place. This would mean that they had been searching for this single person with no other suspect in sight for, well, weeks. And if he was not the killer, then they'd gone down a road where there was really no coming back from. On March 6th, just a day later after the letter showed up, a man walked into the New York City police station and told the clerk that he wanted to speak to whoever was in charge. The clerk asked who the man was and he told them he would not give up his identity to just anyone except for the person who was in charge. So the clerk went and retrieved the department chief who too asked the man for his name. He stated that he was Dr. Clement the man they were looking for. At once, the chief recognized him. Dr. Clement, from the photos that they had, was a heftier man, and the man before him had lost quite a bit of weight. But when you compared him to the photo, it was obviously him. The chief brought Dr. Clement to an interrogation room, and they started questioning him about his possible involvement in the murder. The questioning went on for hours and hours. Dr. Clement was steadfast in his stance that he had nothing to do with the murder and that he didn't know the victim. Dr. Clement actually worked in a restaurant in New York and on the day in question, he worked late and was not only seen by his co-workers but by the many customers as well. He also spent time with friends that day. So the distance from his work To the murder scene. Was just too far away. There was no way the doctor. Could have been. At both places. At the same time. So falling back to their original witness. Miss Elizabeth Emily Miller. They showed her a photo. Of how Dr. Clement. Actually looks like now. And when she saw the photo. She dismissed it. Almost immediately. Miss Miller said that there was no way this was the person that Margaret was seeing and was definitely not the person that she saw Margaret with that day. She saw them together. The person she saw said he was Dr. Clement. But obviously, this man was not telling the truth. Dr. Clement was arrested on this day, But it was not for murder. He was charged for the diamond brooch that he stole from his wife. She valued it at about $600, but Dr. Clement said it was worth much less than that. He actually said that he got just about $25 for it at the pawn shop. Because there was little else to follow up on, all other leads came up cold. Because of her private nature... Margaret didn't give much insight to her private life and made it very hard for anyone to identify who the man she was seeing actually was. There were reports that he was a younger man or an older man. Many of the reports stated that he was thin. But I'm not blaming the victim here in any way for her own death. I'm just saying that this made things a little bit harder for the investigation it's not uncommon for police in this era to get tunnel vision and ignore everything except for just this one lead this is something that detectives and police train today to prevent but in this case this was a perfect storm that offset the investigation no matter what it was odd to the police that the doctor had seemingly disappeared when they went looking for him but they just didn't take into account that he was just another person who had fallen on hard times and was just trying to make ends meet in the days and weeks that went by the news of margaret brown and the investigation to her death went on the wayside New investigations that had not gotten cold ended up taking precedence and her murder was little mentioned again in the newspapers. Until that is, another murder took place. One that is on almost the first anniversary of Margaret Brown's murder. Another murder that is practically identical to Margaret Brown's murder. In New Jersey, a woman is killed and burned in the snow. This time, police are hot on his trail. Will the killer get away with this again? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. I will see you all for part three of the Torch Slayer. See ya.